Hello, I'm Dr. Anna Lee, a radiation oncologist at MD Anderson Cancer Center and a member of the new practitioner committee of ACRO and the guest host of today's ACRO podcast. As part of our new series called How I Built This Protocol, we will be exploring the stories behind some of the most interesting clinical trials in our field. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Nancy Lee, who is vice chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, director of proton therapy, among many other titles. On a personal level, Dr. Nancy Lee is also my mentor and someone who has had great influence in my development as a head and neck radiation oncologist. She has led many trials, but one that has generated a lot of discussion is her current protocol, de-escalating radiation dose to total 30 gray using functional imaging for HPV positive related squamous cell carcinoma of the oropharynx. Nancy, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Anna, and really glad to be here and um, so excited um, to um, give an overview of this exciting protocol for HPV-driven cancer. So for those who may not know, can you give a brief overview of the 30-grade trial? Sure, Anna. Um, So as you know, HPV-driven cancer have an excellent prognosis. So the idea here is in addition to our traditional um, T and N staging system, or, you know, in terms of um, in addition to smoking status of a patient with HPV-driven cancer, I wanted to have an additional biomarker that can give us something about the radiosensitivity of the disease. So the idea here is we use um, hypoxia imaging done by 18-fluoromizonidosol PET scan. It's a tracer just like FDG, except it's F-miso imaging hypoxia. And then coupled with the PET scan, we can image the hypoxia status. And so when we go through treatment with chemo radiation, when tumors are dying off, you can see the location of the hypoxic cells that where they were not seeing oxygen and now are seeing oxygen. It really denotes a radiosensitive nature of the disease. So that's really the overview. Patients that have response early in the treatment, uh, meaning the cells are dying, um, which gives more oxygen to the hypoxic region, those patients with that with the hypoxic resolution will then uh, have a de-escalated approach to only 30 gray with chemotherapy. Okay, great. So patients who are then hypoxia negative will are eligible to receive 30 gray. Yes, correct. Okay. So how did you initially come up with this idea? And um, initially, um, that's a great question, Anna. I was thinking about this um, early 2010, 2011, and I know that patients that I treated, excellent prognosis. They have both the acute toxicity, but more importantly, I'm starting to see some of the late toxic effects, such as dry mouth that's permanent, even though IMRT did a good job compared to T2D era, but patients are still left with dry mouth and patients have um, a major complication I think is underreported, which is osteoradionecrosis, um, dental caries. And I think um, when I was thinking about that, what can we do? And that's when I thought about HPV-driven anal cancer, where only 30 gray with chemotherapy is needed to cure 95% of the tumor. So biology always trumps 
the disease location. And hence we took a leap of faith and understood the biology of the disease, both are HPV driven. Why not implement 30 gray in the head and neck region, which then you can imagine we're not gonna see any of the late toxic effect. Wow. So, um, so you're kind of using the principles in an, another disease site with, you know, you, what you think is similar biology and applying it here. Correct. Okay. Um, did you have any, you know, pushback or, you know, people kind of challenging you or any, um, you know, any roadblocks along the way in, in getting this protocol up and running? Yeah, great question. Um, it is a dramatic drop from 70 gray, which we've been doing it for what, three decades down to 30. That's a 66% reduction. And so our um, IRB was actually very um, progressive. They were able to allow me with the rationale open this protocol. The robot mainly was actually asking the surgeon to take out the primary tumor, but leave the lymph node behind for me to prove this concept. And you may ask, why did I do something like this where I only took out the primary tumor and not the lymph node? Why not just take, I mean, it's almost like we're um, treating 50% of the disease. And those are some of the roadblocks I encounter. And one of the reasons is, um, as you know, when you conduct a clinical trial, it is important to know, does it work? Does it not work? What is the mechanism of whether something works or not. Hypoxic imaging is really the phenotype of the tumor. We really want to know the genetic basis of why tumors respond to radiation or not. Given these um, HPV-driven tumors are very small in general, um, and then robotic surgery was really um, coming online around early 2010, 2011, that I needed to rope in our surgeons and then to have them um, also be a partner, partner to help us also get some tissue. We can then understand the genetic basis, although we didn't require the patient to have a negative margin, uh, which means it's not a major surgery. And then also, um, so with doing that, most of my roadblock is, is this kind of crazy if you think about it, take out half the tumor, leave the lymph node behind, so that would be one of the rollbacks, but thankfully I had three surgeons that believed in me and the concept. And then um, that's why our initial pilot study only had 19 patients. And after that, now every one of our surgeons um, are on board. In fact, it's the most popular protocol as long kittering. Everyone thinks about 30 gray before we um, do any other trials and we no longer require surgery. Um, patients just get treated definitively, both primary and the neck nodal mass. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm starting to, you know, write my own protocol and um, definitely learning that buy-in from the other disciplines is very important to be uh, for the success of the protocol. Exactly. Um, just like you said, like, you know, we can sit down and write a protocol that the protocol of our dream, but if no one puts the patient on your protocol, it right. won't happen. Yeah. So therefore, um, this is really, um, I, re I learned this concept from our late Kian Aang, Dr. Aang uh, from AMD Anderson. Really, when you implement a protocol, got to think about who's going to help you enroll a protocol. You need to get buy-in from everyone. You may not get the entire team, 
right? Mm -hmm. All your surgeons, all your men on, you just have to have a couple partners uh, who believe in your concept, start with a pilot concept, and then they will roll out, um, you know, with more data and then convincing proof to the rest of the team. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of interest out in the community at other academic centers about um, implementing something like this. Um, how soon do you think the F-MISO molecule will be more generally available so other institutions could utilize this approach? Great question, Anna. You know, it's interesting when you think about F-MISO, it's been around for three decades. We've imaged in human over thousands of patients worldwide, not just head and neck cancer, brain cancer, cervical cancer, lung cancer, rectal cancer, you name it. And it's a very important biomarker. Time after time, the paper shows that it's a very important predictive and prognostic marker. But somehow, it has not gone through the proper way of getting FDA approval. It's just really a tracer. Any, just like FDG, any uh, center with a cyclotron, you buy this commercial kit. It's on a cassette from GE. And then you literally just plug in the number with the specifications that Sloan Kettering is willing to provide and implement on your own cyclotron. And then you can, um, the FMISO can be available for your patient. And we actually started piloting the 30 grade concept in our MSK Miami site, as well as Hartford site. And we were already enrolled on um, five patients from the center. So one of my goals is to make it uh, commercially available for all centers, and therefore we can help more patients. And for doing that, I literally just uh, wrote the um, expanded access protocol for the FDA. We met with the FDA once, there is interest, but as you know, getting FDA approval um, takes time. So I'm still working on that. Hopefully the uh, uh, new uh, approach can um, help many centers, what can gain approval and the other centers can have access to the F-MISO um, tracer or molecule. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. Um, can you give us a sense? I think this is probably the most, um, you know, the question that everybody wants to know is, can you give us a sense of how patients are doing on the trial? Um, you know, what's the status of the trial? When do you expect to complete accrual and share results? Yeah, great question, Anna. So since our publication of 19 patients in JNCI, that's our pilot concept, we've actually enrolled and treated more than 350 patients now. Uh, I am in the process to submit our first validated cohort of 158 patients. Um, and we were, I can tell you the results are excellent. The local region control is 95%. Um, so excellent, excellent. It's really a precision radiotherapy pathway. So a patient comes in, so that everyone gets 70 gray, um, one size fits all. We go through this pathway. If you're hypoxic negative uh, image during uh, treatment, you will get 30 gray. If you're hypoxic persistent or positive, you will remain 70 gray. So with this precision pathway, our two-year local region controls to uh, two years is 95%. And our toxicity, you can imagine, is just really minimal. Now with that, uh, that paper um, is going to be submitted this month, in fact. Um, and then uh, we finish our second cohort uh, where we don't even require any surgery. Um, Although I actually kind of, like I said earlier, I really want some tissue because we got to learn why a patient 
did not re, did uh did not respond. And again, remember I said the surgery is not a major robotic surgery. It's just really a simple tonsillectomy. I don't care about the margin status. So it's really a big biopsy in my mind to get the tissue. But in the second cohort, we did not require. We finished um, another 153 uh, out of 158 patients. Five more patients are slotted for our alliance site. Uh, I gave them 10 slots. Uh, MSK, we already finished that. Um, our, our portion of the second cohort. And patients are doing very well, continue very robust data, uh, very similar control rate, as I stated, um, for cohort A. And in fact, we're on our third um, and new product protocol now. We're, we're just implementing treating the GTB only and sparing all subclinical region. So very exciting. We already enrolled another 30 plus patients. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get FMISO FDA approved because I have to keep writing protocols and then keep having the funds. And I'm hoping to get it to a point where everyone can implement at their center and help our patients. The data is very robust and um, hopefully it'll be published this year. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Um, and I know you mentioned this before, but it seems like, you know, other centers are now um, able to um, enroll a few patients um, or you're allowing some slots. But, um, you know, is your what are the next steps for this treatment paradigm in terms of, you know, rolling it out um, in a cooperative group trial possibly or, you know, in a more broader sense? Yes, great question, Anna. Um, I did present, and that is the goal. First, I needed to test the pilot within MSKCC. So I figured Miami is far enough from New York and Hartford, Connecticut is pretty far, a couple of hours. So we're piloting and so far the workflow is really just seamless and really thank you to our um, um, Miami, uh, MSK um, Alliance partners. And then our, I've already presented this concept to Energy Oncology, to Sue Yum and Quinn Lee and all the uh, steering committee. And uh, one of the things we have to make sure when we uh, implement in a larger cooperative setting is first the pilot concept that demonstrating it is feasible out of MSKCC. And second, uh, we need to have standardization of how we read a MISO scan, uh, which our nuclear medicine doctors uh, did do this um, um, project and was presented at ASCO this last year where um, a pay, uh, nuclear medicine doctor is blinded to the result of the FMISO PET and um, has some training by the expert Heiko Schroeder. And we have five different uh, nuclear medicine doctors with varying um, training. Some people were just fresh graduate out of um, nuclear medicine um, fellowship. Some other have longer years of training, um, like 10 years plus, or even in practice. And out of that, we had a kappa of around 0.9, meaning that there is concordance of the reading. So very encouraging data. That piece is important when we roll out to, to grab the setting. Again, you know, as you know, energy oncology, we want central review. We're going to do the, all that process. Um, so very exciting. That's something I'm working toward. And hopefully once I iron out the cost issue, which is why I needed to do the expanded access for the FDA, dropping the cost down, then we can really implement in the cooperative setting. And then the goal is really a randomized study, right? One is the standard care, whatever that is, would it be 60 gray, 70 gray, 
what chemo, whatever that is, versus this kind of precision radiation pathway where the patients have a chance to get de-escalated therapy in general um, among the HPV positive tumor uh, that enrolled the study, about 80 to 85% of patients are eligible to be de-escalated to 30 gray, and they are the ones that are hypoxic negative. So not everyone should be de-escalating my mind. It really speaks out the biology. And right now, our effort is really looking at the genetic basis that this is being done by Dr. Nadine Diaz and his team. Yeah, I think that what you said, the last part is important because, you know, there's a sense that, you know, is HPV or pharyngeal cancer in, in your New York setting, is it different than what we're seeing down here in Texas or potentially Miami? So I think that this precision pathway will allow us to better understand yeah. the disease process. So um, final question, um, what advice do you wish someone had told you regarding protocol development and bringing a trial to fruition? Um. So advice, um, well, it's got a lot of advice and I wrote many, many protocols throughout my career. And I think um, the key, again, we said earlier, get your buy-in. Don't write the full um, protocol before having your teams in place because you will have wasted a lot of effort. And then make sure your funding is in place because if you don't have funds, you cannot implement the protocol that you put your sweat into putting together, right? So funds as well as um, team player and other people uh, willing to participate in your protocol. And then I think um, something when you write, don't you want to have um, the right balance. You don't want to be so narrow with your inclusion criteria that you wind up excluding everyone that comes to your clinic and you can't enroll them because you wrote your inclusion criteria too tight. I ran into that problem. So look at your inclusion criteria and your exclusion criteria to make sure it's not so narrow that even though you got the funds, you got all the team to buy in, but you can enroll a patient because you narrowed the scope. But yet you don't want to be so wide that everybody can enroll on a um, protocol, then you can't get your answer. That balance is important. Know your disease site really well, know your literature really well, so that you can strike that right balance. And maybe along the way, you may have to amend the protocol, given what you see once your protocol is open. And then be persistent. Don't give up easily. Um, continue hard work. Think in terms of your patients always, not about our career only. That's not, that's second to me. It's about our patients. How are you helping your patients? If you write a good protocol that helped your patients, then patients will come to you. That is what's happening to our 30 grade. We got people all over the world. I mean, in Europe flying to US and they want this implemented in Europe or South America. So write a good protocol. Think from a patient perspective. Think about your family member. Why would they want to be on your protocol? Do you believe in the protocol? Do you believe you can really make a difference in their life? Once you have all that in place, then you can bring it to fruition to the end. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Nancy, so much. And I think that, you know, the last, these um, really key pieces of advice um, will be helpful for anyone, you know, any young um, academic, academician, anybody in academics who uh, want to, go into clinical trial development and protocol. I think it takes a long time 
and a lot of support. So um, we really appreciate your time and for being a constant source of inspiration. Thank you so much, Anna. Again, uh, just advice to all the people. Um, it, it's it's really um, rewarding if your concept changes standard care and be persistent, be patient, like Anna said. And maybe you have to write a couple protocols before you really get the one protocol that is perfect. But um, don't let um, the, how do I say it? This, um, don't let, um, don't let anything stop you. And when I think from a patient respected perspective, I don't stop. I just keep going because that's my goal to help them. So, um, and then I'm patient. So really, I hope that everyone, especially the young minds out there, I think you guys are so much smarter than me. Um, go forward. Um, happy to you know, happy to have you email me. Uh, Anna knows I always respond, text me. I'm willing to help. Um, I'm busy, but I'm willing to help. And, you know, we can set up a time to help you if you're running into problems, um, something so willing. I think the younger generation is important um, to help us further advance medicine. Yeah, well, we're so grateful to have mentors like you, Nancy. And we want to thank our listeners for your time today. If you're enjoying the content of the Acro podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also view the podcast on Acro's YouTube channel. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Bye.